How's everybody doing? Is everybody awake? <laughs> we all got an extra hour, right? I don't know. Yeah, right? <laughs> it's what they say. Like it's a conspiracy. So I can't, I can't work as late in the afternoons. Um, you guys remember what we were talking about last week? I used to do this with the youth, and I think we could probably help with a little bit of review. Who remembers what we were talking about last week? Scary something? That was Halloween. Okay. So, it didn't stick out enough. <laughs> I need to do better with my titles. So, we were, kind of, we were kind of following Peter through some things, and in the process, we were looking at not just the first half, but the second half of what Jesus did for us, the first half, forgiving our sins, um, canceling sin, death, and hell, which is awesome, and the second half is he gave us new life in his Holy Spirit. Part of the reason why I want to kind of go through this before we push towards more out, I don't want to say push towards more outreach, but as we direct our attention more towards the outside of this church has been my heart for a while, and it seems to keep coming up, um, which I think is good. Uh, I want us to kind of know what we have before we go try to give it away, right? We need to kind of establish um, what this is and what this life is like, and we're not out there, and this is kind of, it was the way it was presented early on in ministry to me, it's like it's a sales pitch, we're trying to pitch this to people and sell it to them. You're not. You're not. This is not a sales pitch. And I'll tell you ahead of time, when we start doing these outreaches together as a, as a church, um, this is something that I, I learned from Mark. And Mark was supposed to speak today, but he had a previous engagement because he's also Santa Claus. And so he had to, he had to do a Santa Claus thing. I'm sorry. He's not really Santa Claus. There's no, kids in, there's no kids in here, is there? Okay, anyway. So he had a previous engagement. Huh? Yes, he's a helper. He's a helper. That's it. Anyway, so he had a previous game. He does, still does want to speak, and so we're going to work out a time that he does, and he's going to tell us kind of the history of uh, servant evangelism, how we started that back in the day. Anyway, all that to say, uh, he taught me as we went out, of the, what was taught early on is we're just trying to get people to come to church. That's not our goal. So when we do start doing these outreaches, it's, it, it's good if people do come to our church, but that's not the, the end goal is not to get them to come to this church. That, that's not the end goal. The end goal is to let them know how loved they are right where they are. And we always had this little tagline, no strings attached. And that's so important because I saw that change so many lives over the years. We would pray for people. And we, we, there was one thing we would do. We'd buy down the price of gas um, when gas was really high, which is pretty close to that now. Maybe we need to do that again. Um, we'd buy down the price of gas and just bless people with cheap gas. Who doesn't want cheap gas? And we'd pray for them in, in the process. And I'll never forget this one guy. Man, his face was just so blank. He could not wrap his mind around it. He was like, so you guys taking He was trying to give me a donation. I was like, no, we're not taking donations. He was like, I don't understand. He was like, why are you doing this? And we're like, we just, we just want to bless you with cheap gas. That's it. We bought it down. It really wasn't even that expensive for a couple hours at a gas station. And uh, we bought down the price of gas. People flooded in there, and we just prayed for them. We saw people get healed. We saw people get saved. We saw people just seeing the love of God at a gas station. I mean, it was, a sim- it was extremely simple. It wasn't complicated at all. Um, but this guy's face was just blank, and he was like, I don't understand. Or, is the gas station, are they giving you something? I was like, no, <laughs> nobody's giving us anything. We're just here to bless you and to pray for you. And that, that guy, I mean, you could see his whole countenance change. He's like, I don't understand. Like, I can't, can't understand this. We did the same thing with the, the dollar car wash with the youth. We would do a dollar car wash. People would flood in, and we'd give them a dollar and wash their car. And they were like, uh, what? I don't understand. I mean, it's just a dollar, but it's just the idea. And, and what was cool is we had this one comment. I'll never forget it with our youth. Uh, they had a church up the road, which there's nothing wrong with this and I don't even know what church it was. It was a church up the road that was collecting money to go on a mission trip, which is fine. And they were out there washing cars, and they said they came to ours 
And we gave them a dollar to wash their cars, and they said, man, your kids seem happier than the other kids, and they're not getting anything out of this. And I was like, oh, they are getting something out of it. They're learning that they don't have to get something in return, that they can just give this away without expecting something in return. They're learning something. They're learning that this is, this is not a bargaining tool that we use. It's not a sales pitch that we try to hook people into, hey, come to our church, or hey, come get saved. It is genuine, like we talked about last week, agape love, seeking their best interest over ours. And if there's something that kids need to know, these entitled little brats, I'm just kidding. I, I, I kid, I kid. Wink, wink, nod, nod. If there's, not, if there's something that this younger generation needs to learn is that they're not owed anything. No one owes them anything. There, there's nothing wrong with learning that. That's a good, valuable lesson to learn. Hey, get out there and do some stuff. And, and in the process, you can love people and care for people. And you'll see, man, it's so cool because the kids would see it. They'd see people's faces change. They'd see people go, this is weird. This is different. What is this? And I can imagine it's the same way people took Jesus when he walked up to lepers. And they're like, whoa, you're touching me. Whoa, you're, you're coming to me. Whoa, you're, what, well, what can I do for you? He's like, hey, go and sin no more. I'm freeing you from sin. Whoa, what? What, what, what can I do? There's nothing that you could do to, to deserve this. There's nothing you could do to earn this. I'm giving it to you for free. That, that is, that is mind-blowing. That's what changes people's hearts when we go outside these doors. It's that agape love that says, I'm seeking you, I'm seeking your well-being over mine. That's what agape love is. And that's what we talked about last week, moving into what this new, look, new life looks like in Christ. We saw, I've got so many scriptures, I don't, I don't, we'll see how it goes. I might give you the Waukesha Amplified version. Um, so I'll kind of run through what we talked about with Peter. Peter wanted desperately to agape, to love, like Jesus did. He, was, he, was, he thought he was fully committed to give his life, to do all these things, and he would stick his foot in his mouth a lot. He was saying, look, I want to go, and Jesus is like, you can't go where I'm going. He's like, I'll die for you. And then three, three times he denies him right after that. So really, that, that to me is a perfect picture of what performance-based religion looks like. I'll do anything for you, will you? And, and the, we give Peter a hard time, but to be fair, he didn't have agape yet. He said, and even in the quote-unquote reinstatement, which I really think the reinstatement was more an axe than it was there, but the quote-unquote reinstatement, when he was asked, do you agape me, he responded with, I phileo you every time, which is more of a friendship type of love, which is a transactional love, which is what, do I? He still hasn't got it yet. And, and I love this. The very last time Jesus says it, he says, phileo. Jesus, at the very third time, he says, well, do you phileo me? He's like, you know that I do. He's like, I know you do. And I love how Jesus does this. He places all these 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 little things, I'm not big into numerology, but there's these threes. You know, the three denies, three, three, he tells him to go feed my sheep. I mean, he was raised on the third day. All these things, even all the way into um, when the Holy Spirit comes to the, the Gentiles at Cornelius, it was actually at three o'clock in the afternoon when all this stuff happened. Anyway, all these threes, it's pretty neat to see, but he, he comes through there and he drops all these clues to him. And he says, look, you're not, you don't understand this. And he was washing their feet. He says, you don't understand what's happening now, but you will one day. He told Peter, you, you don't get it yet. I know you want to get it. You want to do it on your own, but you're going to get it eventually. It's going to come. And when it comes, you'll understand everything that I told you. And so <clears throat> what he told him, the three things he told him, here's another three. Uh, John 13, 34, he says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. You must love one another. By this, everyone will, you know, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He said three times, if you love one another. That love there is agape. And he's, he's foreseeing what they're going to have to do. And it's funny that even when we get into the scriptures in a minute, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, it talks about if you love me, you'll keep my commands. He always, it's love is before the commands part. 
And it's right after he gives this command. So he's like, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. What commands? He just gave it to you. You'll love one another. You'll love one another. You must love one another. And he's not, what I think we got mixed up over, or I don't say we, I'm not going to put you in my boat. But what I got mixed up was this term love. I sandwiched this love like we all do because I love pizza. You know, I love cars. I love my wife. I love God. We sandwich this love term into one singular thing, and it's not. We have to see it for what it is. This agape love is different than phileo and, and, and the other types of loves that are in the Greek language. Love is not this fleeting thing. It's not a feeling. You don't have to have. It's awesome that we have a worship team, and we can, we can receive the good words that they are singing, and they're speaking, and they're talented in it. But you don't have to have that to have this agape love. You don't have to have this church service to have this agape love. These, these are things that God gives you when you get the Holy Spirit. It's, it's, the, it's the love that is outside of yourself that you can't do on your own. It is very much supernatural. If, if you don't believe it's supernatural, hang out with somebody. Take a trip. Take a trip with somebody. <laughs> right? To go to Disney World or wherever. Go, go take a trip with someone. By the end of the week, somebody's going to get on somebody's nerves. You're going to need some agape love if you, if you want to be friends with anybody. It's something I've tried to teach, I try to teach my kids as well. No one's perfect. Everyone's going to offend you in one way or another. You're not going to have any friends if you don't accept people with their flaws. It takes no genius to find people's flaws. Anyone can do it. But to find, but to find God's given talents and God's gifts in people, that's a beautiful thing. When you can draw out, yeah, if you can, if you can see that gold, if you can see that, that diamond in the rough, if you will, that's the beauty of agape love because it looks for that. The transactional love that I got when I was younger was exactly that. It was transactional. I do for you, you do for me, right? I call it hustle. And it, it, it worked its way into every part of my life. And I would hustle people any way that I could to make things work in my favor. That, doesn't, that sounds bad because it is. But I'm just being honest. When I was younger, that's all I knew. I, if, if I could use whatever it was, I remember, I'll give you some examples. This is horrible to tell you, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Um, but you, anybody put pencil break? You remember pencil break from school? Ah, man, I was clever. I got a dowel rod, and I drew a little dot on it, and I crimped a little eraser, and I dominated pencil break. I won money. I did all this stuff. I used to sign baseball cards, Jose Canseco. I'm going to trade you for Ken Griffey Jr. I was a hustler, man. I would do whatever it took to win. And in my mind, that's what, that's what I had to do because that's what was taught to me. Unfortunately, even, even my parents and, and, and loved ones and people that were around me, that's all they knew. I grew up in, in Louisiana, and, man, there's some funny, if you ever watch a, I can't remember the name of that movie, but some of the Cajun uh, cliches, some of them are true. They're not all true, but some of them are true. I mean, they would just make stuff up. I used to get upset because there was, there was a lot of drinking and a lot of fighting, different things like that. And I remember my stepdad at one point told me that light beer didn't have alcohol in it. And I believed him. Because I was like, I'm tired. Of, I was the negotiator in between the drunk fights. I was like, I'm tired of dealing with this. I wish I would stop drinking. He was like, oh, well, I'm not going to drink. I'm just going to drink light beer. It doesn't have any alcohol. And I believed him. I, didn't, I was naive. And he was just hustling because he just wanted to, he wanted to have his beer or whatever it was. Yeah, and so I was taught that pretty early on that you, you, you can lie. As long as you benefit from it, you can, you can hustle. And that was relationally what I understood. And so it was, very, it was a long road for me to really discover God's gift of real agape love because it didn't fit the paradigm that had been drawn. I remember someone telling me that these pictures or these paintings are drawn when you were younger, and it takes a while to erase them and redraw them. And that's what I had to do for years is go, okay, I saw some of the worst in people, and so that's what I looked for in everybody. I looked for the worst in them. I thought, I don't trust you. You're out to get me. And, man, it was taught to me. I mean, over and over and over again, they would say, my grandparents, I lived with them for a while, they would say the same thing. you got to look out. People are trying to get you. Every time you turn around, people are out to get you all the time. 
I'm not saying some people aren't. I'm just saying that was my, that was my default setting, is everyone was bad, and I better watch out because they're, they're out to get me. Man, it took years of Mark teaching and showing me and me and the Holy Spirit revealing to me that there is good in people, that God created people in his image, and we've got to look for that, and we've got to draw it out. And that is a more powerful thing than, than finding the faults in people and calling that out, because anybody can do that. Listen, we're all messed up. <laughs> I hope you know that. I hope that we can get past that. Like, we're all screwed up in one way, one way shape, or form. But we have to get past that to see that, that when we see people, especially when we leave this church, well, especially even in this church, we need to see that as well, we need, to, we need to be in a position where we are unoffendable. Listen, if you carry the Holy Spirit, there's no room to be offended. You just move on. You, you, dust the, you, you shake the dust off your feet and you move on. You can't, one of the things that I learned in, in sales, oddly enough, is you're going to get hit with a lot of no's. People are going to tell you no all the time. You have to, you, you got to learn to deal with that. It's funny that, that that was taught to me even in my secular job. Um, and as I, as I move over and I begin to speak to people about the Lord, it doesn't affect me as bad when people reject it. Like, okay, that's okay. I've planted a seed and I can move on and do something else. The beautiful thing is scripture continues to tell me that it's not my job to make it grow anyway. God does that. He brings the increase. We just spread seeds. Anyway, kind of went off on a tangent there, but John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. What commands? He just told you. Love one another, love one another, love one another. This is what I'm telling you. This is the new command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you, excuse me, he will give you an advocate to help you and be with you forever. What does the advocate do? He helps you, and he's with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. It's one of my favorite scriptures. He lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. So there's agape again. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. He goes on and on. He kind of reiterates this. Verse 25, all this I've spoken while I'm still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I've said to you. He talks about the peace that he lives with you is not of the world. It's his peace that he lives with you. And so he's talking about something that's coming. We're going to get to the, I got to get to this. So I'm kind of rushing through the part where, where I was going to kind of talk about last week. Y'all should remember. Do better. I'm just kidding. So I want to get, we're going to get to the fun. <laughs> Go back, it's on, it's on whatever, if you want to go back and listen to it, it's on the internet, if you don't remember. Acts 2.1, this is the fun part. <laughs> all right, uh, Acts 2, verse 1, the day of Pentecost came, they were all gathered in one place, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They sat, <clears throat> I'm sorry, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. That's a, a very important at the very end, as the Spirit enabled them. I've been in denominations where they will try to make you say some things that's not speaking in tongues. If the Spirit enables you to speak in tongues, don't try to babble for the reason of babbling. Verse 5, now, these, now they're, uh, we're staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because, bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. 
Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears in their native language? And it goes through all these, but I can't pronounce them all, so you can read them if you want to. So there's all these different nations. They were all Jews, though, and it's important that we see that all these were Jews. Some of them were converts to Judaism. They were all Jews. They were just from different nations. And I think it's important that we see that because later on we're going to get to, um, and we've, we've briefly talked about in the past, at Cornelius' house when it came to the Gentiles. It's really cool to see this unfold because it's, it, it follows all the way through the New Testament, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, and then he does it first for the Jew, and then he does it for the Gentile. And I, to me, that's the most exciting thing is even the part when we get to Cornelius because that's us. We get to get it too. But right near, he's talking to all the Jews, and it's from lots of different people from lots of different languages, but they all hear him declaring the wonders of God in their own tongue. Verse 12, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this all mean? <laughs> Some, however, made fun of them and said they'd had too much wine. Basically, they're saying, hey, you guys are drunk. And his response without, well, let's, let's just, I'll read it out, and then we'll kind of talk about it real quick. Verse 14, this is, this is the whole, you do not realize what I'm doing, but later you'll understand to Peter. Peter stands up and preaches the crowd. So Peter steps forward with the 11 other apostles and shouts to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and the residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. It's way too early for that. <clears throat> no, what you see right now was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. So what you're seeing, what they're seeing is this right here. This has also been misinterpreted several times over when I was coming up as the end times when Jesus comes back. He's saying right here, this is what you're seeing that was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel, verse 17. In the last days, now last days here, Try to slow down a little bit. But last days here is not the end of the world. The last days, what he's talking about is the last days of the old covenant. It's the end of the old covenant, and, and what's coming in is the new covenant. We have to see that for what it is. The old covenant was passing away. It's being fulfilled, and the new covenant is coming. And what he's saying, what you're seeing here, what is happening right in front of your face is what Joel prophesied about. And it says, in the last days of this old covenant, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. That's what they see. They're seeing this happen right in front of them. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, these days is what Joel was talking about, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. Listen, I know there's lots of feminist movements right now, but Jesus was the greatest woman liberator there ever lived. He constantly did that, especially in the culture that, that pushed women down terribly, treated them like animals a lot. And he, Jesus called him out on that a lot. And this is what's prophesied even to, to help us understand what that looks like today. It's in those days I'll pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn, will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the, on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited. Now listen, let's stop here for a second. This is Peter. <laughs> Think about this. Has something happened to Peter? Yes, something has very much happened to Peter. Peter has received agape love that he never had before. He's received the seal of the new covenant and has radically transformed Peter into a different person. He's different than he was before. So he stands up. He ain't, he ain't denying Jesus anymore, <laughs> okay? He stands up and he says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. 
But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. He goes on to talk about David and that David wasn't talking about himself, that he was pushing forward. But this is, this is the same Peter that we saw standing by fire denying Jesus three times. I don't know the guy. They're like, aren't you him? Aren't you the one that cut off that, that guy's ear? Bruh, <laughs> that wasn't me. He was completely denying him three times over. Same Peter. What's different? Holy Spirit. When you go outside these doors, you're, you carry the Holy Spirit with you. When, when we, whatever we decide to do, whatever that looks like, whether it's fun and, you know, joyous and, and, and it is, or if it, gets, if it gets somber and serious and we're praying, those things are not carried by your power alone. You have supernatural power. You have boldness that you don't have on your own. I can say that from experience. I don't have, listen, from, for, man, I don't know how many years, I, I barely spoke. Like I was, my mom would come in my room, I'd play in the closet by myself. I would fall asleep, she would say, I would fall asleep like halfway under the bed. I was, I was very to myself. Literally, my stepdad, I remember him, I was walking past some like mirrored glass and he stopped me. He was a, my stepdad was a military guy. He was always, he was proud, always hold his shoulders back, shake, which was stuff I needed to learn. Shake, you know, shake a guy's hand really strong. I didn't know all that stuff, but I would always, I was always like this. I always felt like less than and my head was always down. I'll never forget some of these monumental moments of going back, especially after being saved and seeing the, the, the male influence I needed. But just having a little bit of dignity, he stopped me one time and he said, stop. And he like grabbed my head and he turned it to the side. And there was a reflection of me. He's like, look how far forward your head is in your body. And basically I was just so hunched over that I was just walking ahead like I was about to run into stuff. But that was my mentality was I was less than. Even to this day, I always... Like in the back of my head, I feel like the kid in the room. I always do. And I talk about old people that are younger than me. Like, oh, yeah, I was in a meeting with a bunch of old people. I'm like, Justin, those guys are in their 30s. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I still, like, I think about this. I go in meetings, even with my, my secular job, I, I go into meetings with engineers and CEOs, and I'm supposed to solve their problems, and I dropped out of high school. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, but, and I only say that to say that the boldness and the understanding that I have and the confidence that I have comes from God, not from me. Not to say I haven't gone through training and I haven't learned things and I haven't figured things out and I haven't, you guys haven't helped in developing that. You very much have. But it's because of the Holy Spirit that I have that I can go and do these things and not be timid. Because there's lots of reasons to be timid. But I don't rest, I, I don't rest on me, I rest on Him. When we, we, I don't abide in branches, I abide in the vine. And so I want to encourage as we we progress and we look to, I'm like busting out the doors of this place. Um, what was the phrase you wrote on my, on the board? Ascending. Ascending out place. We've got, I've got, <laughs> I was trying to be cool. We redesigned my office back when I first became pastor. And uh, so we painted everything and I made this like idea board. I thought it'd be cool and everybody can write on it. And so everybody has and it's really cool. And uh, it was really cool because you wrote ascending out place and that really stuck with me. We may have to put that on a shirt or something. So I want this to be a sending out place. When we come in here, and I don't, I'm still figuring out what that looks like because there's all these, these norms and traditions that we come and we sing and we preach and we do these things, and there's nothing wrong with those things, but I really, I don't know, I kind of, whether we do it once a month or more often than not, I kind of want to just go, like, come here, meet, and then just leave. I kind of want to just go. And even maybe bless other churches. I remember times where we would go to other churches and, and bless pastors of other churches. I just want to do 
I want to do more of that stuff. I, I mean, that's my heart. It doesn't mean that we don't still teach and preach here. We do. We want to do more of that. But at the same time, I'll, I want to do the stuff. Man, I'm just, I'm really feeling hungry to do the stuff. Um, so as we do that, I want us to know that we carry something. And we're not, you're not out there with a sales pitch trying to sell me for sure or Pure Grace Church. We're not. We're not trying to sell anything. Nothing's for sale. We're there to give good news and that's it, period. No strings attached. And when we go, we carry someone that can do more than we could ever do on our own. And we're not, we don't have to beg him to show up. We don't have to, to stress about it. We can go with boldness and pray for people. We can go with boldness and give someone a hug when they need a hug. If we have money, we can give someone money that needs money. So this isn't complicated. We can sit down and have a meal with someone and bless them. The first time we, we did this, and Mark will probably talk more about it, first time, it was like the second or third Sunday that we came to Deeper Life Fellowship when it was on, uh, on Government Boulevard. We did the Servapalooza thing. We went, some of you may remember that, north, south, east, west. And we took groups, and it was like a scavenger hunt, but it, we were adults. But it, we didn't get anything. We gave things away, so we had all this stuff to give away. And so we would go, and we would just bless people and give stuff away. And it's funny how those doors are open when people know that you care about them. This whole thing with love leading, nothing says I love you by giving you something that you didn't expect. Something I told, I've told you guys several times, I was never a really good tipper because we grew up poor, and I thought, you're lucky to get anything right now. <laughs> you know, I should be eating at home macaroni and cheese. But as I, as I got older, and Tracy helped me with this, I realized, and when I worked in the service industry too, I began to realize that too, they don't get paid very much, and they need that to supplement their income. Not only that, when you're, when you're doing that type of job and someone tips you well, it makes your day. Something simple. I know it's, it's money, and I'm not, not trying to tell you to, to go in debt tipping people like crazy, but be mindful of that when you do that. When I, now when we go out to eat, I think I need to be able to afford the food and a good tip, or we need to go home and eat, which we're doing more of too. All right, all that. Um, Talked about David. Da, 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 da. So he tells him all this. He gets up and 3,000 people are saved. It's pretty cool. Also, it's kind of the reversal of the Tower of Babel because all of them hear it in the same language when it was the exact opposite when they were trying to build it to get to heaven. Now Jesus comes to us and unconfuses all the language. It's like a redemption from that whole thing in Genesis. It's pretty cool. So now, I, don't, I love that whole picture of them trying to get their way to God and then God coming to us and reversing that. Um, these are the two, two of my I have lots of favorite quotes but these are two that pertain to this I'm not going to say these are two of my favorite quotes these are two of my favorite quotes that pertain to what I'm talking about today the first one's from Charles Spurgeon it says the spirit is here he has never left since heaven's opened and he descended in, at Pentecost brethren if we have not the spirit we are better off closing our church doors and praying God have mercy on us because the church without the spirit of God is more, more of a curse than a blessing uh, my friend Dana quoted something a while back too, and I'll probably misquote him, but it was something to the effect of uh, Jesus told the disciples to go and wait for the Holy Spirit because without the power of the Holy Spirit, they were, they were useless. We're the same. Without the power of the Holy Spirit, you're not going to convince anybody of anything. We're not out there to trick people. There's no trick. You, have, you don't have a better way. You have the way, <laughs> the, the only way. My other quote was from Reinhard Bonnke. Um, Reinhard Bonnke passed away a few years ago. We, we, had the, we were blessed to hear him speak at Jesus Culture one year in Chicago. Awesome, awesome speaker. He said, uh, how do I keep the fire burning? This is a question many people ask as I travel the world. The answer, and he put this in all caps when he put it, he, he put it on social media. He said, I don't keep the fire burning. The fire keeps me burning. If we need to keep the fire burning, it's not God's fire. 
Only false fire needs stoking up. Our God is a consuming fire, Hebrews 12, 29. The flame of the eternal spirit never flickers or diminishes. Moses saw the bush burning and not petering out. The undying flame leaped into Moses' heart and 1,400 years later rested on the heads of 120 of the first disciples on the day of Pentecost. It burns on today as bright as ever, igniting the hearts of millions. The Lord's fire gives no burnouts. Have you ever, amen. Have you ever heard someone say, man, this guy's on fire for God? I get it. But I've also seen so many of those young people that are on fire for God fall off in two or three months because they're resting on their own ability to do it. I was one of those guys. I was attacking hell with water pistols, thinking I could do all this stuff. And I got real discouraged and real broken real quick in religion. Why? Because it was me-centered. I was on fire. I wasn't looking at the fire that consumes me. I was trying to be something. I was trying to be something that I already had. What a miserable place to be. That's what religion does. Religion tries to, to mimic something it's not. Relationship with Jesus transforms us from the inside out because that fire that we have, I love this because the veil was torn. You don't, there's no veil. You don't have to hide it. You get to shine bright all the time. All the time. It's different than Moses. This is better. You have a better covenant. Generations and generations of kings and, and I mean, just people desire what you and I have. They desired it for years and years and years and we get it for free. Gentiles who have no real lineage on their own get invited into the family. As far as I know, all of us in here are Gentiles. We get to be a part of this. We get to have this fire inside us. You don't have to burn out. I love it. Even the term Reinhard Bonnke says, petering out. <laughs> Reminds me back of Peter. Petering out. <laughs> that fire doesn't just burn out. Even thinking about when he was recognized because the fire in front of him showed his face. All these little, all these little things that I think that, that God is so faithful in giving us all of us aren't as intelligent, I'll include me in this, most of us aren't as intelligent as like C.S. Lewis. Man, C.S. Lewis had me not sleeping for like a year and a half because he's, he's, he's so smart. He also had me learning a lot of new words. But there are people that are much more intelligent than I am. But what you'll find out, and I don't have time to get to today, we'll probably talk about next week, is when Peter talks again and when he speaks boldly again, very boldly after they heal someone, these guys are confused because like, this is Peter. He's an, 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 an uneducated man. So two things they know about him is like, this guy's uneducated. It doesn't mean just be ignorant for the sake of ignorance, but they recognize that they say he's not schooled in the scriptures. And two, what they recognized was this man was with Jesus. What he had denied earlier, they recognized, no, this was definitely one of Jesus' disciples. They recognize those two things. Something is different in this guy. He knows things that he shouldn't know. And he says things that don't, doesn't make any sense that he, he, gets, he gets it. Exactly what Jesus told him. You don't get it now, but you're going to get it. He got it. He said, this guy's been with Jesus. He recognizes something different. They recognize something's going on with this guy. Peter has changed. He's different. Listen, you don't have to convince people when we go out of these doors. They're going to know that you're different. Without a shadow of a doubt. I was drawn to, I tell you a story over and over again about my buddy who was, who was ministering to me over the years at my work. I knew that something was different about him. I, I was attracted to the Holy Spirit. I didn't know it at the time, but I knew that he reacted differently than most people. I, I saw how he acted and reacted to people differently than other people. And he wasn't putting it on. It was genuinely who he was. It was real. As lost as I was, I knew real from fake. And as lost as the people that we're going to run into outside those doors, they know real from fake. You don't have to fake it. 
Don't fake it till you make it. You got it. Give it. <laughs> you know what I mean? This is not complicated. No strings attached. The, the, um, the, the thing at the end of, um, I'll, I'll kind of prequel to, to next week too that, that it talks about. The only, the only way is Jesus. He says it very clearly. This is not, I love that even the, uh, someone who was not a Jew, even before the, the, the Holy Spirit came, she said, look, I'll, I know how all this works. I know how kingdoms work. I'll take a crumb. Even dogs eat crumbs. A crumb from the kingdom of God is better than a feast from any other kingdom. He even tells us about this mustard seed, which is teeny tiny, can move a mountain. The thing he says over and over and over again is it's not about quantity, it's about quality. It's not how much of something you have, this faith, it's where you place it. And the reason it's so small is because it's only found in Jesus. It's not that it's this whole narrow gate thing. Yeah, it's, the only reason he says it's a narrow gate is just because it's just through Jesus. It doesn't mean that it's not flung wide open. It is. This narrow gate is wide open to anybody that wants to receive it. When you receive it and you, you have your faith in the correct place, you move mountains. You, you have a feast at the table with the king. Your life changed. It, it transforms and you have new life. Your sins are forgiven. That's in the past. Your old life is gone. But guess what? You have a new life right now. This pouring out of the Holy Spirit is for us right now. You don't have to wait for glory land when you die to get it. The mansion that he talks about in heaven was put placed in your heart. That home is, is with you right now. All right, stand up with me. I'm going to pray for you. Um, Father, I thank you that you have created a... You've created a place in our hearts for us to dwell with you. Lord, you gave us, you didn't just send us a message through tablets like you did in the old covenant, but you sent us Jesus, a person. And you didn't just send us Jesus, a person, so that we can read about historically, but you sent us the Holy Spirit to remind us of everything that you taught. So we don't just read this book as though it's a history book. We get to know the author. We get to know the one that wrote it. We get to know you every day. And Lord, thank you for that relationship that you've given us. You aren't distant. You aren't jumping in and out of our bodies every time we mess up, but you're there with us to pick us up and dust us off and show us a better way. Lord, thank you that your kindness leads us to repentance. Lord, thank you that as we repent, metanoia, as we change the way we think, as we renew our mind to this new covenant Christianity, Lord, that we see you for who you really are. Lord, you're better than we thought. Lord, help us to share the good news with others and let them see, let them see you for who you really are in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.